0: It was all a pipe dream. Watching bodyboarding up on TV. Deep at reef. Watching tension repeats. Eating bakery feeds at 18. Living the dream with no sunscreen. Yeah, we were so keen. Surfing Aussie Pipe. Buying Riptide. Eating shit pies. Maybe get high. Okay, well, good day and welcome to the Riptide Bodyboarding Podcast, the home of bodyboarding. Thank you for joining us on episode 22 of our verbal journaling. And I'm your host, Luke O'Connor. Well, ladies and gentlemen. The world title has been decided and I'm sitting here, not physically, but definitely digitally connected with a man who has just won his second world title. He's 24 years of age. He's probably one of the craziest aerials the sport has ever seen. And I'm so happy to have him here on Luke's Lounge. Please give it up for Tristan motherfucking Roberts. How are you, bro? <laughs> yeah, that was quite some intro,
1: bro. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, brother. Really appreciate it.
0: Dude, happy days. Thank you for making time. And I just want to start by congratulating you and asking you, how does it feel to win your second world title? Yeah, man. Um,
1: pretty surreal, I think. like The last few days have just been a blur. I think... Um, I've still been struggling to sleep. Like, I kind of thought I'd sleep better after the title race was done, but now I kind of guess it's just all the excitement that's keeping me awake and tossing and turning and actually just realizing that it's actually happened and it's done, man. It's like I can finally just kick back and um, put my feet up for a bit and, um, yeah, just try and enjoy and soak it all in. So, yeah, I'm frothing, bro. I'm just on cloud nine and I can't wait to get home to family and friends and just celebrate it all with them, you know.
0: Oh, dude, it's going to be such a lead-up to Christmas for you, just win your second world title, hopefully get some sick waves at home, just maybe to take a little bit of time off just to focus back on yourself and, and just do what you want to do because I'm sure the last, I don't know how long, you know, over this year's competitive circuit, you've been out and about just grinding and getting it done. And mind you, coming into this last day at front time, you had a flare-up with your back that could have really taking your second um, world title aspirations away from you. How were you managing all that, bro?
1: Yeah, it was it was pretty heavy. Like when I hit the reef, I kind of – I knew it wasn't anything too serious, like any bones broke or anything, but my muscles just went in such a crazy spasm that I knew it was going to be a few days of pain and um, just frustration. And I actually ended up like just wanting some injections to relieve the pain. So – I went off in the ambulance because of protocol. They had to do x-rays first before they could give me any um, injections. But I was just so sore and battered up. I was just in tears in the hospital thinking that my whole year was kind of like, you know, was kind of wondering why it's happening right now. Like I had to, you know, coming up to one of the most important days of the year and I was coming in as an injured soldier. So I was pretty devastated in the hospital, just trying to figure out. You know, when they're gonna run the comp, how many days I'm gonna have to rest. Um kind of looking at the forecast, I knew I knew we were gonna be on for Monday, but trying to convince myself that no, they weren't gonna run and I was gonna have a few more days to rest. Um But yeah, man, like as soon as the the day started I kind of went into, you know, that extra gear and just um try to block all of that out, thinking that oh, you know, it's the last stretch and I'd have months afterwards to just relax and recover from that so it's exactly what's what happened and um yeah I'm just frothing bro that was a crazy day for me and you know just having to dig so deep really showed a lot about myself and um I proved a lot to myself that you know I could could dig so deep and make sure it happened so I'm frothing bro
0: Man, there's something about there's, you know, a real burning fire in your eyes for most of your competitive days. And I think Terry McKenna touched on our most recent podcast that's yet to be released, that he shared a moment with you and Pierre back in your pro junior days when he kind of spotted that also and and highlighted that you are just – you are zoned in when you compete. Is that something that you've had to learn throughout your life or were you born with, with that skill set? Yeah, I
1: think I think it's something like that I've – had since I was young but only because I've I've kind of like I've went through so many different phases in my life where I've questioned myself if all the dedication to my sport was worth it and like all the sacrifices I made through my teenage years and some would say missing out on a lot of fun but to me at that time I was kind of just you know hell-bent on achieving what I was set out to achieve and it There comes a point in your life where you start questioning if all of that was really worth it, and I think that really plays a big role in that fire um in proving to myself that it was worth it um, because I think most of the time i'm I'm trying to you know find reasons to support the decisions I made into putting everything into the sport so I think when you've got all of that in the back of your mind and you're trying to achieve the greatness you set out for yourself. I think that's what lights that extra spark.
0: And what is the greatness you've set out for yourself, man? Because obviously you won your first maiden title in 2019 and you had plenty of competition wins under your belt before that anyway. You know, where where are you going, Tristan? Because you obviously love pressure you absorb it really well and you can bounce off it like obviously that win in the 2019 front on pro against amore essentially his home turf and you had to pull a cat out of the bag there in the final to go the whole way and win you know you you like pressurized situations so where's the roof for you mate like what are you aiming at yeah
1: and that's and that's it's such a difficult question for me to answer because i don't think i've actually ever set out a goal in um in how many world titles I want to win or what it is you know I think I think for me it's more just using my full potential it's the point to if my body's feeling okay to be sending big puns and to be trying to chase world titles that I'm making the most of that so that I don't one day look back and wish that I had done more and I think that's that's all that I set out for myself it's just that, that when I do step away from competitive bodyboarding I really feel like I gave it 100% of and, um, yeah, that's all that I'm really striving for, bro.
0: Yeah, that's sick. And that's obviously showing in your results, bro. Like, even your free surfing, have you felt like the last couple of years, especially probably through the COVID period where you could really focus on your air game, like, you've gone to an, another level? Because watching back over your edits, man, like, watching stuff in Peninsula or watching stuff in The Realist or Flame Grilled and those dubious, delicious flames in the bottom of your slick that everyone likes talking about, bro, you've okay. gone – to like another level, man. Is that also your feeling?
1: Yeah, well, well, I think I don't like what's crazy about it is like I don't think that to me that my writing has got that much better from when I was eighteen per se. I just think that everything's starting to click now, and I'm starting to, you know, figure out competitions and figure out the recipe to win and um and be a lot smarter in heats. I think that I've always been the type of guy that wants to just go big and lay it all on the line. And I think that's because I do all the preparation outside the water that I feel confident that my body's going to be able to take the beating. Um, so, I, so I don't really think it's it's been a, a massive change in my free surf or anything. I just think that everything's just starting to click and, and work together now, which is great.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. Definitely, man. It's it's completely shown. I was only gonna ask just before, um, what is your routine outside of the water, dude? Like, how do you keep yourself so fit? Because obviously, you know, as as everybody border knows, some of the landings that you're you're performing and sticking, it got to come at a price. So, how do you condition your body to get through those those crazy landings?
1: Yeah, but I think, and I think that's the the crazy part about it. It's not it's not a crazy routine that I do. I think it's just a matter of consistency. I think. People think that they need to do this crazy routine that they train super hard every single day and like that just seems like too much effort, you know, where to me it's more a matter of just actually showing up and doing the necessary, you know, conditioning exercises which is mostly just core and protecting your shoulders, you know, those are the first two things that us as bodyboarders really have to focus on to make sure that we can have a longer career. Um, any shoulder dislocations is going to be our biggest issue. So I think at the moment I've I've signed up with like a really cool team at home that's helped me with, you know, figuring out the necessary exercises to to prevent that from happening. And there's a routine that I do that's probably not even more than an hour a day. And yeah, man, I think it's just a matter of showing up and actually getting it done. I don't feel like I leave my routine super exhausted or like completely broken i just think that it's it's consistency um and trying to balance that out with surfing because man realistically like the problem is with us is that we're surfing when we're surfing and the waves are good sometimes you're going to push to like five hour surfs which is you know it's not sustainable if you're not doing anything outside the water to create that load or to be able to withstand that load so I think that's the big the big factor there. It's just to be able to to get to a place where you can withstand the load that we're putting on our bodies.
0: Yeah, and you have you looked around at other people and trying to gain inspiration off of them? Like I'm probably referencing mostly Jeff Hubbard especially with the win at front on this year, like and the and that backflip ARS thing you did on the right. You know, obviously he's had to condition himself in a certain way and I believe he has a pretty similar routine. Um, Obviously, I don't know y'all, but more so in regards to trying to do it every morning and trying to sort it out and just make sure he's doing his, like, yoga stretches or his, you know, flexibility work and warming himself up because, man, like, you're defying gravity. You know, those punts are are serious and they're into flat water sometimes. Like, that's that's unbroken water that's going to create such a slap. Obviously, you guys have got it down to a fine art. with trying to land on that cushion bit of the wash and it's so evident in a lot of your footage, man. Like, you know, you could do an air rev and kind of pick where you want to – on the land these days, but like that open water stuff is, is gnarly and that is probably where people are going to blow their shoulders out. Yeah, no, exactly. And
1: I mean, Jeff Jeff's a perfect role model to all of us. You know, I think he's definitely the greatest of all time in my eyes just for how long he's been able to do what he's doing. You know, he's going harder than most of us and he's 47 already. So I think he's just... You know, I don't think that's going to be realistic for all of us. But, yeah, what he's been able to do is absolutely insane. So, I mean, yeah, if I can take anything out of his book, then I'd be super stoked on that. And, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. I think, like, back in the day, I don't know if, you know, if we were pushing each other as hard in competitive bodyboarding or what it is, but I feel like now it's just people are so hungry and we just going so hard that if you don't do those little extra bits, you're going to pay the price and, you know, you're going to have a real short career. And um, and I think that's the beauty of it is that we're just pushing each other so hard and, you know, there's going to be so many battles in this new young generation that there's guys coming up that I think in like five years or so we're going we're gonna to have a tough time of where the sport's actually at.
0: Man, if I were to give you one one choice, one pick, say like one um, bodyboarding fantasy league pick out of those juniors, who who's going to come up and challenge you for a world title?
1: Well, I think before any of those juniors, obviously, Tanner is going to be there for many years and um, rightfully so. I think he's definitely stamped his authority in the sport and I think he's going to be world champion sooner than later and I think, that we're going to have many good battles in the future. So for sure, Tanner is going to be there real soon. And um, yeah, then there's obviously there's a couple of the other guys that have really impressed me in the juniors, especially this year. Like if you look at that, Joel Rodriguez, his work ethic is pretty insane. He's a Portuguese kid from, um, from the north in Portugal. And we were just talking about it, like, recently. And you can really see that fire in his eyes, too, which is pretty crazy to see. Like, after the front-on event on low tide, he's been paddling out there alone and surfing, and we're just kind of (laughs) wigging out and (laughs) why he's even doing that. And then you've got Amides, who's a local boy here, who's absolutely been shredding. And we saw him this year. He only did two events. He just did Sintra and here. Sintra is pretty dark horse and hard to stop so there's a lot of guys i think in the younger you know generation and just watching front on now and watching the juniors trying to put on a show is pretty nuts you know it was pumping front on in the last day and you know watching those kids rightfully to call them kids just paddling out there and you know <laughs> putting on a show was pretty crazy to see man
0: Especially such a heavy slab, man. Like you know, w- watching Fronton, like all the comps throughout the year were great, and I think the IBC, you know, had some sick locations, got some pump and swell, and and you know, put on a really good show. And when you see the grand finale being at Fronton, it's almost um, you know mirroring how the WSL used to have it at Pipe, or like you know, there's big events to decide the world title. It's at the perfect coliseum. You know, everyone's up on the scaffold and looking looking down at it. You know, you can just see these huge lumps rolling in. The hoots and hollers start, and, and you know, obviously, I'm not, I'm not even there. I can't feel that energy, but I can just see it on the webcast. And it must be just such a cool place to hold the final comp for the, the year's end.
1: Yeah, that I was saying the other day. It's like there is no better place where it kind of feels like you, like a, you know, a few gladiators in a re, arena where it's like you. It almost feels like you're surrounded by a crowd because they. You know, up on that cliff looking down at you and yeah, when those lines roll in and you have priority out the back and hearing all the whistles from the cliff and everything, it's like it's really hard to have any other spot like it in the world and I think it's the perfect place to end the tour every single year. And every time we walk away from the canaries, we're so proud to be bodyboarders. So it's it's pretty insane, man.
0: Man, so you know you've been writing for Pride since two thousand and eleven, and um that's, that's over a decade now. you know have you found that that company, especially with the um, you know very very special um array of staff they have on their on their team, like you know talking to Sebastian Bullard the other day, you know, just seeing how dedicated and passionate and how professional that whole operation is. Uh, Do do you feel like that has, has helped your career to um, reach the dizzying heights that it has?
1: Yeah, for sure, man. I think like I signed with them at the end of 2012. So this is my 10th year with them now. And um, we're probably going to do like a little, a little decade video after this, um, um, which will be really cool. And just to reflect back on the last 10 years with them, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride, man. And I think, um, having those role models above me that were there and were there before me, it felt like I always had a, you know, a a bigger task ahead of me to try and match their abilities. And um, yeah, all the riders that have come through the company before me and having Pierre there, um, who's been, you know, a role model to me since I was a kid and trying to go on surfing trips with him and trying to keep up with his pace and what he's been doing. I think that's been like one of the key factors in my career that have, you know really helped me technically as well in bodyboarding because he's and he's like one of the most technical gifted riders on earth and i think um yeah just watching him and learning from him and just having him around has been you know it's it's kind of like we have that um, you know that battle in between in the free surfs and uh when we're filming that kind of also just a bit competitive but also just helps both of us tremendously. And I think, uh, yeah, that's been great for the last four years since I've been doing those Pride team trips. It's been absolutely phenomenal.
0: Dude, those team trips are so, so sick. Uh, You know, everyone's made mention of how Pride's kind of led the way in the last definitely four or five years in regards to just having a, a production going on at, at all times. Like if you're in between comps, you're, you're getting a film session in here or you're gathering footage for another little project, you're going to make all the short films they produce, like from um, the Peninsula, you know, to um, uh, what was the name of the, um, the one in? Holy Africa. Yes, yes. Holy yeah. Africa, yeah. Please go on. Can you please remind me? Because, man, they're just some of the best. I watched even the Waverly one recently in like Switzerland, so wild. Like the filming and the music is really cool,
1: yeah. And and also, the one of the special ones that was um multi face Tata, which was in the Azores, um, which was pretty full on too, man. Like, I think that year, I think it was last year where we did Holy Africa one and the multi face Tata in Azores. It was like so, it was really taxing on our body. We had like a few months of just mega punts and. Traveling and surfing, it was the dream. But at the same time, I was like, Pierre and I, we went straight from filming in the Azores to coming to surf Fronton afterwards for the comp. And we were just like, our bodies were like broken after all of that. So, we've, I mean, the boys are busy, man. They always have big plans and they're super keen on, you know, pushing the sport and pushing us too. So, I've already got something planned up to be making a clip now, Um, just over the, the year that I've just had and that should be released in probably like the middle of November um, and then in January, February, I'll be going on another location with them to film. So yeah, man, it's, it's really busy and it's it's been really good and it's something that helps me stay motivated too is, um, you know, them keeping me on my toes and putting me to work and I really enjoy that.
0: Yeah, and you're in like some of the prime years, man, go for it, you know, like keep yeah. chasing away like if, if you're fully fit like um you know I'm not saying you won't be able to do it for the next couple of decades but so so evident when COVID hit you know the, that two-year span was quite difficult you know you held the world title there for pretty much four years because the world shut down so <laughs> I just, it was um yeah it kind of gave us all a bit of a lesson A, eh? it's just like search for it now if you want to do it do it and just get it done and you're getting it done
1: yeah 100 percent. that that was it's crazy man like winning a world title and then going straight into COVID was like, I think it was maybe a blessing for me for sure, because I, I felt like there were definitely moments after winning my first world title that like I had a bit of self-doubt where I didn't know if I'd be able to step up to the plate again. And I I was actually speaking to Jeff about that the other day, like wondering like if everyone goes through that, you know, after winning your first world title, it's like you've achieved it, but now it's, you're not sure how ready you are to step up to the plate again and try and defend it. And you go through those months of like self doubt where it's maybe just easier to, you know, convince yourself that you're maybe not a worthy champion than it is to convince mm-hmm. yourself that you are. And um, yeah, I think those COVID times really actually helped me just to free surf and remind myself that who I am and what I do. And um, yeah, I think it helped me stay. You know, I got to free surf so much and come back even stronger and be really prepared for the new competitive year. So in a in a way, it was actually a blessing for me, I think. Uh, a lot, obviously, a lot of people it wasn't cool for, but me personally, I'm kind of grateful for those two years.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a cool way of looking at it too, man. Like, um, you yeah, know, we had some dark days here in Sydney, but there was also some definitely – also some positive story that really – really got around you could work on yourself in different ways you could get to 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 work at home and just reconnect with like family not so much and physical um uh kind of face-to-face stuff unless it was down the beach but more so just with your tight-knit um group you know at home and and yeah there was some some really cool things to be done i enjoyed it there was heaps of waves pumping at home and i was working from home um most days and then just clocking on and off and you know you had the freedom and the um you had like the freedom of no responsibility you know so that was a really weird really yeah. time and I, that was something like really special did you find because you didn't have you didn't have the world tidily on your shoulders you know the Ibc couldn't couldn't operate it was almost maybe even a blessing for them i would i would say like you know looking from an outsider in because you've got so much more time to prep you can kind of get things put in place I know the world was slowly opening up at the kind of midway 2021 but like yeah it was it was a crazy time for, for everyone did you just get pump and waves at home yeah
1: I think I, I still somehow managed to travel in that time like I had a pretty crazy, like, run trying to get to France. Um, like, it's a pretty cool story. I ha- I had to go to France to film after – like, it was just as COVID hit. Like, I think it was, like, the beginning of 2020, like, I, I assume, like, April, May. No, it would have been even earlier now. It would have been, like, February. It was just before COVID hit or something. And I had to, like, get to France to film – um, for the end of The Realist, the clip that I made with Pride. Um, so we were trying to figure out ways to get to France. And I had a visa still valid, which was, you know, the biggest blessing for Europe. Um, so I didn't have to get another visa, but I needed um, some letters from them to say that I'm working for them and kind of made my way over. And I, when I got to Dubai, um, they wouldn't let me get on a flight saying that um, – France wasn't accepting any South Africans on type C visas at the time. And I needed a different visa. Um, and I argued the point that they already let me on the plane. Like they've flown me to Dubai already. Like, what am I meant to do? And they kind of said, well, they'll fly me back to South Africa free of charge. But the, the next flight was only in two weeks, like, cause they had slowed down all the flights and they basically wanted me to stay in Dubai at my own cost, like in hotels um, oh my. And, I, and I was just like, well, that is how, like, where can I fly to? Like, can you give me a list of countries that I can't fly to on this visa? Um, and they said to me that they, Italy was one of them, but I'd have to kind of prove that I'm working in Italy, like I'm going there to work, which was <laughs> pretty mental because obviously the guy knew I wasn't going there to work, but he was kind of just... You know, giving me the wink like, man, I'll let you go if you just show me some documentation that you can come up with if say you're going there. Oh, what a um, Lord.
0: Lord. So, so good people sometimes.
1: Yeah, so I was kind of just you know, in the airport for like twenty-four hours, messaging back with pride, like how are we gonna get these letters or whatever? And they managed that they had a friend in Italy who got me some working papers and whatever. Um So I showed this guy these documents and he was like, okay, that's sweet. Let me just, you know, get in touch with the immigration in Italy. And he, um, came back to me saying like, okay, you can go, but because you're there for so long, you have to quarantine. Like you have to do a week of quarantine. And I was like, Oh my words. And I have to quarantine in Italy. So I was just trying to figure out, Like, I basically had two folders of papers like saying I'm going to work in Italy and one saying I'm going to work in France and, I showed him the Italy one just to let me get on the plane. And when I got to Italy, I showed them the other folder to say I'm going to work in France so that they wouldn't quarantine me there, you know, just kind of taking it step by step. And yeah, they yeah, said, definitely. yeah, they were like, okay, cool. You can you you can go to France, but there's no flight. So how were you planning on getting there? And I was like, oh, no. I booked a train, like, <laughs> and, like, while the guy's talking to me, I'm, like, booking the cheapest and quickest tickets I can on a train. And, yeah, ended up training for, like, three days to get to France and finally got there, and it was a nightmare, man. So I,
0: I'm... Stays in the trains, man? Like, what do they have beds and, and carriages and whatnot?
1: No, I was having, like, the craziest layovers, like, outside train stations and, like, just... Yeah, it was nuts, man. Because like, I booked like the cheapest and quickest trains. Like, obviously, I didn't even look at the times. I was in such panic. Like this guy standing in front of me.
0: Um, I had to sleep on the yeah. platform outside.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I was just. Oh, I, yeah. And when I, I, I was in, cool. I was in. Yeah, I was. I was in Switzerland, like in Geneva, and like I had a stopover from like midnight to 8am and all the hotels were closed because of COVID time, So I couldn't get a hotel and the train station had closed too. So I was kind of just sitting outside a train station with all my bags. And there was a bunch of like dodgy characters walking around and I was like, I can't sleep because they're probably going to try and mug me or something. So I was just like kind of sitting there on, on guard with like all my bags and shit. So that was, yeah, it was gnarly, bro. It was, that was some of the toughest times I've been through with travel for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you got it done, you know, you got it done. And Was the trip worthwhile to get pumping waves?
1: Yeah, it was sick and then it was kind of like lockdown went crazy and I was I was stuck in Europe for six months. So I was cruising around between France and Portugal just like surfing around and South Africa you weren't allowed to surf. So in the long term it was a big blessing and I was stoked to be – out of South Africa because they were having these crazy rules and heavy lockdowns that didn't even seem realistic. So, yeah, it worked out for the better for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, that would be such a cool time of your life, like getting locked down in a place that looked like had a pretty good um, season away over, over like the COVID church or maybe just everyone was surfing, who knows, but it looked like like some sick times. Is that when you guys filmed Peninsula?
1: um yeah exactly and then we went on to filming peninsula at that time too because we couldn't travel anywhere else so we were just driving between portugal and france and just filming on the road
0: bro how is talking about peninsula man how is that left at that 10 lipped faced wave that you um posted on the insular day that excerpt out of um <laughs> yeah um, hectic.
1: yeah it's the weirdest wave like i i it's like it's it was such a weird wave, like and it has such an eerie vibe to it. It's like when you arrive on this cliff, there's like an old like like some sort of abandoned little electricity place where they were producing power or something in the <laughs> in the past that's all just like broken down now, and such a an eerie like vibe walking down to the surf and paddling out like it looked really big from the cliff and we had just arrived and it was like watching this left like what are we roping ourselves into and kind of just like the swell was dying the next day so that was our only shot to just do it you know so we we're paddling out pretty rattled like confused to why we were even doing it and
0: you know, like, <laughs> there definitely was some yeah. 30 barrels Isabel and Pierre got
1: yeah, yeah, no, for sure. We we definitely did get some good ones, but it was it was a, definitely a lot more intimidating looking at it from the outside than it was when we were inside. It was kind of like the wave itself was pretty over deep water, so even if you did get beat down, you were just getting a long hold down. It wasn't like you were bouncing off the reef or anything.
0: Yeah, 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 I, I know what you mean. Um, and also, dude, like the session at and Andrean, brought back so many cool memories for me like we did a bit of a tour um through the basque country there and stopping at and in, you know such a cool little zone in, in the top northern part of spain there like that is that is a geographical feat if i've ever seen one like that's a crazy wave
1: yeah
0: yeah it's so much fun it's like i always imagine
1: like imagine being a kid like growing up there and just surfing that wave all the time you'd be like it's so frothing, like just imagine being there with your mates, like growing up at this wedgy, like beachy, and just you know, like four to six feet, just fun every day. It's like, man, it's kind of the dream setup.
0: It is, and it just consistently keeps going backwards and forwards. It looks like it'll always, I know, sand changes, and there'll be better days than others, but there's always something to do out there. Like we, me and my my wife Lozzie, we, we parked up there for. I think, almost five or six days just behind, you know, where that little shack is up on the top of the cliff?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think um, the Portuguese boys said that in the summertime, that's a, a bar and a restaurant, it goes pretty well, but they they left the power on um, at, the oh. this, <laughs> at the back of this shack, man. Well, not shack, it's a, it's a really nice restaurant, actually. It was, you yeah, know, yeah. beautiful and had all the old kind of um uh, the old chairs and like umbrellas out the front. It was it was it was really nice, but they left the power, on, so we could just park up with the van. And we were like, greens, man. Yeah, because usually we're rough, and it with just um, not much power at night. It's like the like, the batteries we got from this Dutch chick. You know, up in um, Utrecht, she just saw us come in and didn't do any maintenance to the vans, and dude, the the, the batteries like. Barely lasted half a day, fridge would die, you know, it'd be hard to pump water out. It was just a classic bucket. But it got it got us from the top of um got us from the top of northern Europe. So starting in the Netherlands all the way down to Morocco. Um and then wow. back again. Yeah, so it, it did a good job. That's mental. Well you, yeah, you better hope none of the local boys are
1: listening to this, bro. I was are gonna send you an electricity bill.
0: <laughs> yeah, shit. I don't know if we going back. <laughs> I would say they'd be like, fuck, winter, what was going on? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, yeah. No, yeah, no, it's, it's
0: sick bro. It's like
1: that that vibe is yeah, mental. Van life's pretty yeah. cool in Europe. It's so easy.
0: Isn't it? I know. And there's so many little nooks and crannies you can um you can pop into. We only had um <laughs> we only had <laughs> such a such a funny thing you mentioned about that like van life and 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 whatnot like we had such a good time over in in europe and 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 whatnot but we found man like some of the um places were super van friendly but then some of them like were not so van friendly there were a couple of moments where you know definitely probably shouldn't have been where we were and i remember getting like the shoe on or like the knock on the door at 2am or whatever, but you just got to cop it, you know, like that's that, that's kind of roughing it out there and we had this one time in Morocco, Tristan, oh dude, it was during Ramadan, we had an absolute <laughs> barrier going during Ramadan because we didn't look at the dates and, you know, not to say it wasn't a really cool experience, but those people at those given times, like the, the, the Moroccans practicing, it was just like as soon as the sun went down and they needed to eat and they needed water, they were just oh, yeah. Easy man and it's so wild so the <laughs> can't break down for the third time in morocco like we had our um driving belt um snap and we're coming out of the mechanics for the second time just leaving town so we were stuck in this service station outside of um uh yeah i was pretty sure it was and um I was just so sick, man, like vomiting and pooing into a garbage bag. Like I was at my lowest oh, point. <laughs> heavy, bro. Yeah, super heavy. You know one of those moments on the travel thing where you've had like a bug and you're just in a random location and everything's going wrong, you're getting the sweats. And I just had two trucks perched up inside with um, both men praying on, on either truck and like you are going <laughs> for <laughs> an hour. And I would being in this tin mood <laughs> and just sweating, and uh, everything was going wrong. And, and you know, like my point being is the highs and the lows of traveling. <laughs> it's real. Oh,
1: that's so good, man. Yeah, man, that's heavy, bro. No, for sure. There's always the highs and the lows. and Just got to cough it, bro, and just keep going. I think it's, yeah, I think it's not just with traveling, I think it's with everything, bro. So, sick.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. I'm. I'm just thinking. Um, you would have had some crazy times on on the road, Tristan. And what's been your, maybe not like deepest darkest moment, but more so like a, a a moment where it was just your health was fading. You had to push through, and you were just in stressful situations, but you just knew you had to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think like like that time I said when I was, it took me six days to travel from South Africa to France. Like that was <laughs> definitely the <laughs> worst trip. worst travel I've ever had Um, but then yeah man I think like obviously now these days like competing with that injured back the last day like having to dig deep and push through was definitely my my darkest moment in competitive um, bodyboarding Um, yeah just like being in the hospital like injured and kind of realizing that you know you could almost throw the whole here away um, just by with a stupid injury and um yeah, which obviously wasn't the case. But at the time, it was yeah, it was pretty hard on me. But, you know, we got it done. And I think it's always going to happen. I think I'm going to be faced with a lot of adversity in the future. And this is just one of the things that's going to help me be prepared for that.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. T- talking about adversity, what was the toughest um, heat this year on tour? Like, What was the one that really pushed you to your limits?
1: Well, I mean, the way the way I look at it, it's like, there's definitely, there's, there's more. The, the most important heats I had this year was, you know, like the semi final with Tane in Erika or the semi final I had with Tane in Brazil. Because either way, if he had won one of those, he would have been in the lead, you know. So and it, the scenarios would have been switched and I would have needed a result in front on. So I think those were definitely the most important heats um, in my career for sure. I mean, and for sure this year, you know, I think they played a massive role in the outcome, and yeah, I think also one or two heats that I dreaded this year, like losing the semi-final um, to Manuel Cepeda in Antofagasta, where it's like a minute left and I need a six, and I try to do a big roll and a nosedive, like things like that. You know, if uh, if I had won that heat, I would have been world champion by the time I left South America already this year. So. Is there's always those heats you can reflect back on or losing to Allen in the final in Brazil, making stupid mistakes. It's like, you know, I think throughout a competitive year and especially when you win a world title, you can always reflect back and see the massive mistakes you've made, but you can also see the the things that went your way to make you win a world title. So, Yeah, that was definitely the summary of this year for me, for sure. and Also, what kept me awake, like, leading up to this last event, you know, it's like, thinking about so many crazy different scenarios and thinking about, you know, the even the heat draws and you're thinking about the seeding coming into the last event, you know, and I was even running through scenarios on maybe I should lose on purpose so that the seeding changes. And, you know, you, you're doing so many crazy calculations and, yeah, it was just a nuts last event and I'm happy I didn't have to do anything tactical and I could just surf and enjoy it, you know.
0: Man, how do you block the head noise out? Because obviously, you know, staying there with everything going through your mind and all the different, you know, outcomes that could have played out and having Tanner and Alan just nipping at your heels. Like, how do you deal with that head noise?
1: Yeah, it was really difficult for me at at this event in particular because if you looked at the first initial heat draw we had, it's like I had Pierre and Amari on my side of the draw and, and Jeff in the beginning, you know, it was like, And to me, it was like those are the most three dangerous guys to have on your side of the heat draw. And it was really difficult seeing that first heat draw and going like, wow, like this is, this is a major concern for me that, (laughs) you know, I'm on that side of the draw with all these people and Tanner can only meet one of them and me in the final, which would already be too late, you know, by then he would have already won the world title. So, um, I was kind of spinning my head around that a lot and, and now I was kind of, you know, putting the pressure on relying on his result instead of focusing on my ability and what I can do. And, um, you know, it just came to a point where I decided, like, you know, I was thinking, like, oh, maybe if I lose on purpose, then Tanner would go to first seed and he'd be on that side of the draw with all those people, you know, and, like, (laughs) you know, running through that crazy scenario in my head. And I was just, at the end of the day, just had to block all of that out and just decide, you know what, like, this whole year is just I've been competing and doing really well, even against the biggest names. And, you know, I'm just going to bite down and just try my best and try to put on a show and, you know, compete as well as I can in heavy front on and see what happens. And, you know, it all worked out in my favor in the end too. So I'm really happy I didn't go that route on losing on purpose.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Dude. Well, yeah, um- Talking about, you know, everything coming into the last day of Fronton and and all the pressure you must have felt and the different outcomes that could have um, really played out, you know, just going over some some of the insights then, amazing, man, to see what you really do calculate in your head. You'll be happy to know on a lighter note that me and Winnie had a discussion on a couple of podcasts prior to this one and Riptide, Luke's Lounge, had the odds floating around for you at $2.80 firm favour. (laughs) <laughs>
1: Thanks, bro. Was that was that just because of the scenario, or what do you reckon that was
0: for? I mean, like we we had like um, a, a team of four analysis uh, <laughs> analysts, sorry, and then we just had different categories of ticking. You know, like does well under pressure. Um, okay, and then like also like had different categories of fitness, or we had different categories of. Um, uh, heat draw scenarios. You know, there were there were things dialed in, man. So you were two dollars eighty. Then we had um <laughs> at like three eighty drifting okay. out to dollars because we kind of thought you had a bit of momentum running into it. And then Winnie was happy. Like he said the smart bet was you. And then we went to Alan Munoz, was a twelve dollar smoky that could have just come right down the outside and knocked us <laughs> over. And he was saying that he'd be have a sneaky like tenor on Alan just to, to maybe just come from to behind. To be <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. So, and, and, and
0: that's
1: the thing, like, that's the problem when you're coming from behind like that. You've got nothing to lose, you know. It's like it's kind of like my situation in 2019. I had absolutely nothing to lose. It's like everyone was kind of expecting you to lose already. So if you give it your best and you lose, it's kind of like, Oh, everyone's kind of expecting that. So no worries, you know? So if you can tap into that energy and realize like you've, you've already kind of lost, you know, this is just your last ditch effort to, to do the impossible. So it's, it's not actually that much pressure on you. It's you're just surfing. Cause it's, yeah. So that's kind of at least the mindset I was in, in 2019 when, when, when I won the world titles. That I, you know, I had already lost the world title in my eyes, and I was just going there to, you know, give it one last effort at trying to, you know, do a couple of big punts out at front on. And I guess, yeah, if if you can tap into that mindset, it always works out well. I guess even if you lose, like you would, you'd probably reflect back and realize that you you actually did have one of the better performances you've ever had at front on, just because you went out there with nothing to lose and it really is one of those waves you know it's like there's there's tens in every heat so if you really go for it it's like and you you stick the landings you can really you know be an unstoppable force
0: yeah talking about attitudes Tristan and obviously highlighting Alan's there coming from behind you know how do you find um, how do you find competition to be broken down in percentage, you know, talking about it from a physical aspect or a mental aspect. Those two, those two laid out. What percentages are you putting on um, what categories to get the job done in two world titles, I guess, so far? Like, what are you focusing on?
1: Yeah, I think it's honestly, I, I would even say it's up to 70% mental. Like, it, man, it's, it's, I think everyone in the top 10 these days all have the ability to win a world title. You know, it's like they're all ripping. It's not that one of us are better than the other. Maybe one of us is better. If you look at it overall, it just comes down to who has the strongest mental state.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. I think a lot of um, athletes have been interviewed around the world. And I think you're echoing their same sentiments, man, that like, The mental, um, the fortitude you must show like during those high-pressure situations as you do really does outweigh a lot of the physical prowess you need to demonstrate. Like obviously, you know, to to launch a huge air rep or back you off any of those bowls is next level and you need a, a very fit body to do so. But it's all in the head, eh? Like it's just putting your mind to something. Make sure you want to execute it, I guess. You know, one of the techniques may be to um visualise in your head but beforehand over and over again and you know, it's 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 funny how how you can conjure up certain situations in your head and if you think about it enough. Almost like the power of one, I, I guess, um, you know, that famous technique of just positive thoughts towards something, you can't achieve it. Is is that something you aspire to, man? Yeah, well I think if you, if you look at it like Man, we've done
1: the reps of doing those moves like a thousand times over, you know, it's like they are there, it's in our muscle memory, it's more about just believing that it's there, you know, I think that's the big factor, I think that it's trying to stay calm and just realize that it's just another day in the office and it's, you know, those, you've been through the motions so many times over the year that you are prepared for the the moment and and if you truly are prepared for the moment, then, you know, there's. you have to believe in that. And as soon as you believe in that, I think that's when everything starts clicking together.
0: Yeah, and that belief's come with you in probably over you know, the last four or five years. Can you really put a time and date on it? Yeah, well, I I think,
1: man, I think 2019 was a big eye-opener for me. I think that was the year where, you know, I just started winning events, events. Um, just started running in, you know, like I was running for the world title through the year, kind of from behind though. So I didn't really feel the pressure, but you know, that was the first time I started winning e- events and started believing that, you know, once you do it once, you can do it again. And and um yeah, I think that's kind of where all the self-belief stemmed off. And then, yeah, over the last two years, I kind of just had free time to just train harder than ever. And then Coming into this year, I was just so prepared and still running off that energy of winning events in 2019. So, yeah, I think it. I think this year was just – and like I said, having those two years off was played a massive factor and I was just more prepared than ever.
0: I Man, do you also feel like having a part in your life really balances you out in certain ways and you can kind of lean on them in tough situations to, um, you know, get – Get through and, and obviously get to the get to the success you've you've experienced. Has that added you know another element or dimension to your your life that's um you know leading you more towards contentment?
1: Yeah, well, I think you know I think it's just a matter of like we all we all get dealt shit cards at some point, you know, and it's just having to to lean on your your actual own toughness and realizing that when you're in a heat, it's just you and and no one else, you know, there's no one else that can help you in that time. And, um, that's why I've always kind of liked like martial arts while growing up too. It's like getting thrown in the deep end and having to swim and, you know, it's like, I think that's, that's something that's really good for any competitor is to be thrown in the deep end and getting used to being uncomfortable, like comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think that's something that I've Guess now, whenever I'm given a challenge and I realize it's going to make me uncomfortable, I'm I'm really open to it and I and I want to go through it just because I know that it's going to help me in the long run. So I think that's something that you know I've learned over the last few years through when I started boxing too, and you know, getting punched in the face is never comfortable. And <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, just it was just something that I realized that I've now when I'm in a heat alone, it's kind of Brings back similarities to that, you know. Even if I'm, when I was sparring or whatever it is, I really had to rely on my myself and and um, my own um, to, you know, to get through it. So, yeah, I think it's definitely being throwing the deep end is something that I think is great for any competitor.
0: Do you do ice baths, Justin?
1: Um, no, I haven't actually. I did some cold swims, but I mean. Yeah, our water's so cold all the time. I feel like I'm always just in a nice bath. But um, <laughs> Yeah. No, I haven't I haven't really got into that much, but I think that's definitely a, a huge challenge too. And I think uh, yeah. That I mean that's just a whole nother another aspect to to being thrown in the deep end, no? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Do you you know, you were saying before that you enjoy those challenges. Do you set themselves do you set them for your, yourself every year? You know, like do you enjoy putting yourself through pain, so to speak?
1: Um, I don't think there's any like specific goals that I set out that I'm I'm gonna do this and this to be put in that. But I think in life or just, you know, living the lifestyle that I, I do, I'm always throwing in those in those um, challenges whether I like it or not and either I can hide from it or I can face up to it and just, you know, face it. So I think it's more just of a lifestyle thing that throws me in those challenges really.
0: Yeah, well, you do live a pretty pretty out the outrageous lifestyle like being, what, so seven, eight months on the road for the year of the um, World Tour? Yeah, I think that too and just all the, also my
1: other hobbies like – you know, I love kayak fishing and rowing in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, you know, sometimes super intimidating with sharks breaching and everything. And just yesterday, I went fishing a bit here in the Canary Islands, and I had one of the scariest climbs of my life down a cliff that I was really thought I was <laughs> kind of done for. Like, you know, getting halfway down and feel like I'm stuck, and and um, yeah, just having to take things really slow. And you know, I don't know. I've just I've just got a habit of ending up in situations that I, I feel like just always challenge my mental strength.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. We spoke about sharks in the podcast um, a little bit back with Louis and some of his encounters. being from South Africa, man, the beautiful town of Hermanus. Am I pronouncing yeah. that correct. Yeah, Hermanus. yeah. I'm a Hermanus just um, southeast from Cape Town. Have you seen um, any, you know, sharks lurking around your local haunts there?
1: No, I haven't really had any close encounters with any whites. I've had one breach like a few meters or a few hundred meters from me that I've seen pretty clearly, which is rather scary. But other than that, I haven't, mostly on the kayak, I've had a couple of bronzies breaching. I've had a couple, I had an orca experience, which is really cool. Um, Orca experience? Yeah, just orcas cruising on by. They didn't really come and check me out, but which I was kind of happy for, but just, yeah, yeah, you know, like, you know, made made me feel real alive.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Where was that at?
1: Just off of a man too, like, just rowing out of my kayak, fishing, and actually with a friend of mine and kind of drifted different directions. And seeing those big boys swim by was, yeah, pretty surreal, actually.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. They've got such cool markings on their body. Hey, like, they stand out, like. Dogs' balls when you see them. I haven't seen yeah, them like in yeah. real life, just in the aquariums and whatnot. And even that's not even in the aquarium. What I'm talking about, I've seen them once at SeaWorld, which is actually quite sad. And I probably shouldn't even be referencing that, but yeah, they're just um, yeah, it's insane animals, man. Yeah, yeah, just top of the
1: food chain and skin and nothing, bro. it's it's pretty yeah. nuts. But they're not animals, are they? What
0: what are they? What are they classed as, man?
1: Well, Mammals? I think. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think orcas in general are just, you know, it's 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 just crazy because you want to see them as whales, you know, you like, but <laughs> there's a whole other aspect to them because they actually just certified killers and they've been taking out all the great whites and in South Africa, so yeah, it's been a real damn scary, scary thing down there, just watching them clean out the population and realizing that. You know, for many years we always saw orcas that have kind of just taken over our waters.
0: Yeah, wow, man! That, so that, that's happened all up and down the east coast of, of South Africa, like it's it's mostly
1: going... yeah, it's mostly around Cape Town in the colder waters. We've we've seen so many great whites washing up um, over the last few years, and. You know, the whites actually migrated for a while and they hadn't spotted one in almost, like, three years um, in our waters because they had all migrated further up the east coast to the warmer water to try and get away from those orcas. Um, oh. Yeah, so it was a pretty pretty
0: crazy few years and
1: you just randomly see an orca around and realise that, you know, they've kind of taken over at the moment.
0: Yeah, actually, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I know, has there been... Has there been any? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think there has been any deaths in um, outside of um, uh, enclosures for killer whales. I think there's been one or two for inside, where um, where handlers have been bumped or tossed aside and then drowned supposedly. But um, yeah, never outside on the um open oceans. Have you heard of any? No, not in the
1: open, only in captivity so serves them right anyway
0: yeah bloody Hey, okay. yeah. yeah hey dude um i know you're um very time poor and you've got another interview straight after this so i don't want to hold you too long um but i just want to ask you a, a set of five questions i try and do at the end of most um potties are you, are you keen to partake yeah yeah let's do it yeah but okay so um i probably already know A couple of them, but I always love hearing it, all right? I try and predict in my head beforehand to see what kind of guy you are with these sort of, um, you know, questions coming up, and then I I love hearing the answers. So first (laughs) one being um, Crescent or Bat-tail, what would be your choice?
1: I've always gone
0: Crescent, but... I have just ordered a bat tail, so <laughs> do with that what you <laughs> want. <laughs> where, where, where are you planning on using that? Like, was it a thing for a trip? Yeah, it's
1: it's just that I've never really ridden a bat tail, so i I I just want to experience it really and see how it goes. So yeah, I'm just curious to see what it what it's like, but I've never ridden one, so I can't even comment on how they go. Hecky,
0: would you ride it with a quad or just a, a double channel setup?
1: Um, I'm going to try to run it with like the single to double concave and
0: radial flex
1: and just see how it goes. I definitely did put a bit more volume in it because I imagine that they go better in in worse waves than really good waves. So that's at least my, my theory on it. So I'll let you know how it goes.
0: Yes. They're, they're supposed to generate a bit more speed. Hey, like than, um, a regular. Occasion. Yeah. Is, is how
1: go? Yeah. And just feel a bit looser. Um, in the pocket. And so I so don't know if it's going to be good in big waves, but I guess like in smaller mush and softer waves, it might feel a bit better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Epic. Yeah. Definitely going to say, how you go. I'm sure we'll see some clips coming up. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks, bro. Um, second question, my bro, ramp or pit ramp all day long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: kind of expected that one like but, but it's like whenever pride wants to send me on team trips I'm like oh yeah is, is are there any ramps or are we just gonna chase barrels
0: <laughs> is, is that because um your upbringing at home Tristan like you know you had so many cool beaches and wedges around like is is that what honed in your um liking to ramps over barrels
1: yeah, well, I, I just think that's what just attracts me to the sport more. It's just, like, being able to go high and go hard than riding barrels. I think that's just why I fall in love with it, so.
0: Yeah, sick, sick, sick. Yeah, man, fuck. Aerial game is pretty, pretty, um, pretty low, like, like, just – Law obliterating when you think about it, you're defying gravity every time you launch up over that, that, that lip. And like some of the airs these days, like that one you punched in Brazil, bro. Ho, 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 bro. How was it coming down? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think,
1: yeah, the pompo, that right wedge is just, yeah, something else, bro. Being able to do those punts out there is nuts, man. Like it's just such a sick wedge, and the warm water just makes you feel so comfortable to go big. and it's a whole other story when you're trying to do big punts in cold water when your body's all tense and tight and, you know, after three hours you're kind of just starting to look for barrels because you don't feel like landing hard in the flats anymore. So, um, yes. yeah, the warm, the warm water ramps is definitely helps you.
0: Yeah, sick, sick. Um, third question, dolphin cart fins or other design fins, what would be the choice?
1: It mm, depends what the other design fins are, but for sure you can't go wrong with the the dolphin cut fins, bro. Uh, but I do like the the straight blade too at times, which is like if you if you see what the Vulcans have done, um, yeah, it's a really good.
0: Yeah, yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet. I'll have to, I'll have to look out for them. Are they more like a drop knee in, or are they like a no, no, no?
1: It's, it's still it definitely still has a bit of that dolphin shape, but it's more like that, that straight cut rather than the like the OG, um, Macapoos, like you know that rounded, um, that like yeah. blade. Um, so it's more of a straight cut than anything.
0: Yeah, sick. sick. yeah, epic. Um, fourth question, beachy or reef, sir? Oh,
1: that's hard. But if you look at like, um, I think over longevity, beachy. Like if, if I was going to have to surf one wave every day for a year, it would be a beachy just because it's going to throw me so many different types of waves. Um, where a reef, it's kind of, I'm going to expect the same thing throughout the year. So I think the beaches would keep it interesting.
0: Yeah, what if I threw a wave pool in? No, nah,
1: no, nah, I'm definitely not keen on a wave pool. It'd be so boring.
0: Huh? Sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, if I had to surf a wave pool every day for a year, it'd be like, they would just be, it'd be so boring. Like,
0: What about if so... you had, like, say, like, surf lakes here in, in, in Australia, which is only like, you know, in it was one of the first ones Uh, design like this where they've got I think it's four waves breaking at once through this big plunge technique and you could have all different waves set up would you ever think about that like you could and it was like ramped up to say six foot man think about in a couple of decades where you can have waves six to eight foot ramps and you can choose them like say I want a Nazare wedge or I'm going to go down do
1: you know what I mean like yeah yeah for sure like if I can create my own then and I can change it all the time then that would be great but as of what I've seen, as of what I've seen now, it's kind of like I don't see anyone getting large ramps.
0: True, true. I guess I'm looking more into the future. I'm just kind of getting yeah, yeah. excited about what what's coming. Yeah, 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 right now, definitely It's like three foot kind of wedges, and it looks sick, but not um, worthy of a whole year's worth of surf. Yeah, exactly. Um, final question, man: bicep or wrist leash?
1: Bicep. I've just ridden a bicep my whole life and it's super comfortable, so I'm not changing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Locked in. Have you ever had one that's a little bit too small and you don't um get the strap right around, you have to have it really low down on your bicep almost on your No, I've luckily never
1: had to go through that, but <laughs> that I, sounds terrible. <laughs> it is, I know, you know, it's probably Maybe. like
0: first recording problems, but hey, it's it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe my biceps aren't big enough, so I don't even um, have Yeah, I, I think I've just got, like, too much beer flab on a man, you know what I mean? I think that's where my microphone my is. <laughs> yeah, man. <bro. laughs> <laughs> dude, well, um, thank you for coming on the party, Tristan. Really appreciate you giving us your time once again, dude. I know how hectic your schedule must be with the um, front-on king coming up and, and all that kind of, kind of stuff, like – must be crazy over there in Grand Canary. So congratulations again, dude. You know, two world titles. You have completely smoked it this year and you've been a pleasure to watch and some of the most high performance and progressive bougain that we've seen in the history of the sport, man. So hats off to you.
1: Thank you so much, brother. And thank you for having me, bro. It's been a long time coming. So I'm stoked we finally got to sit down and have a chat.
0: Yeah, it was sick, dude. It was sick, man. And um, I think this potty will be coming out um, in two or three days' time. So when is the um, next comp starting over in Canaria?
1: Um, we just we have one tomorrow. It's like just an expression comp where it's like the previous winners of the Fronton Kings so are just all going to be in one comp and just trying to send a couple waves. So that should be fun.
0: Yeah, sick. Well, good luck for that, man. And, um, you know, I hope you get a good break when you go home and celebrate with the family later on the year.
1: Cheers, brother. Thank you so much.
0: All right, bro. Keep well. All right, chat it. It was all a pipe dream. Watching bodyboarding up on TV. Deep at Reef, watching tension repeats. Eating bakery feeds at 18. Living the dream with no sunscreen. Yeah, we were so keen. Surfing Aussie pipe.